0: Welcome back to Central Banking's Tech Talk podcast series. I'm Rachel King, Associate Editor for Central Banking. Joining me today is Bhuta from the International Monetary Fund's legal department and his former colleague, Arter. Thank you both for joining me today.
1: Pleasure, Rachel.
2: Pleasure, Rachel. Thank you.
0: So the discussion today is going to focus on the impact of fintech and central bank governance, an issue which was the subject of a recent paper published by you both. Um, So there's no question that fintech presents unique opportunities for central banks. Um, So for example, the pace at which technology is evolving will allow central banks to enhance the execution of several of their core functions. But the use of fintech also raises unique challenges around governance. So Vuta, I wanted to, to start us off. Would you be able to explain firstly, what is meant by the term governance within the realm of this discussion?
1: Uh, Certainly, certainly, Rachel. So as a starting point, most people, when they talk about governance, they really focus uh, quite narrowly on on decision making structures and often even on sub aspects of decision making structures, such as, for example, the functioning of the board. Um, And while that is important, extremely important. Um, in the IMF, we use a somewhat broader uh, uh, view or perspective of governance, and in particular, for us, governance is really the whole set of concepts that that help institutions in making decisions. Um, and from that perspective, we look at, for example, the mandate of central banks, what are their objectives, what are their functions, what are their powers, and it's basically what they asked, are asked to decide. Certainly, we also look at decision-making structures, they are extremely important, um, but of course, in this conversation also, we, we look at also at autonomy of central banks. Uh, and as the the, the the quid pro quo for high levels of autonomy, what is their transparency and what is their accountability towards uh, stakeholders? So basically we have a somewhat broader view as to what governance is.
0: So with that in mind, Arthur, I wondered whether we could apply that to a specific area of fintech which has been very popular or at least is spoken about a lot at the moment which is central bank digital currencies and i wanted to ask you what types of governance questions should central banks be asking themselves with regard to cbdc's
2: well rachel it's very good that you asked specifically for cbdc's because in fact financial technology covers a very broad set of technological advances some of which are relevant to central banks including cbdc's some that are not And because of the importance of some of those fintech uh, developments or the governance of central bank, the IMS was first asked to present uh, preliminary research findings at an annual central bank seminar in Dubai. And in fact, the paper that we're discussing today is the fruit of those previous works. As you asked, one of those fintechs that is indeed very relevant to central banks is central bank digital currencies. In fact, ever since uh, CBDC's work streams accelerated at central banks, essentially from 2019 onwards uh, with the Libra and now DM of Facebook, a growing number of central banks have either launched research programs, pilot programs, or have actually released a, a functioning version of their CBDC. And as a result, some central banks have already started to either adapt or their decision-making structures such as the PBUC to financial technology, or have adapted another part of their governance, which is their mandates, uh, to ensure that they could pursue future works when it comes to central bank digital currency. Uh, This is the case of the central bank of the UAE, for instance. And uh, looking at a very specific aspect of how would CBDC impact uh, the governance of uh, central banks, For instance, if if a central bank was to decide to issue a retail version of their CBDC that has an account based structures, then it would need to make sure that their powers that are drafted in their laws allows for the opening of those accounts to the general public, which is by and large, uh, not the case as of today. So this is a very uh, specific impact of CBDC on uh, the governance of central banks, uh, in particular in their mandates. But when you look at the structure, aside from CBUAE, which I just mentioned, another central bank, for instance, that has created specific fintech units uh, to deal uh, with financial technology include, for instance, the South African Reserve Bank. And so you can see that a number of central banks uh, because of the amount of work because of the financial uh, consequences of embarking in cbdcs already have adapted uh, their structure to make sure uh, that they're up for the challenge
1: so R- rachel shall i can i just top this up with something um, regarding our safeguards policies of course so your listeners may may find that quite interesting so the fund basically has a it's called the safeguards assessment policy, and this is a policy that requires us to assess the governance of central banks of of countries that borrow from the IMF. And we do that mainly with a view to to avoid misuse of IMF funds and misreporting of program data. And in that context, we would historically look at, at the governance around uh, uh, banknote issuance, but. As Arthur said, given developments in the central banking community, we started looking where relevant also at the governance around CBDC, for central banks that are deeply involved in in, in the planning of issuance. And it's very interesting that we we could already make two, I think, quite important uh, findings and conclusions related to governance. so the first one is that in many central banks, the executive management is the driver. But it will also be important to involve the the board, the board of directors, the oversight board, however that board is called, in particular to make them aware of the strategic and the risk issues, Um, and that can be a challenge. And the second finding is that sometimes we observe a somewhat uneven balance between the central bank and uh, the IT service providers that help the central bank designing the CBDC. Um, And obviously this also raises governance concerns. And this is again, something where where the board should be on top.
0: Thank you, Bhuta. Your paper obviously doesn't just address CBDCs. It looks at a wide array of FinTech and how it affects different parts of central bank's governance framework. Um, and I wanted to ask you, if we consider the broader fintech ecosystem as well, how will the use of fintech tools within central banks impact these institutions autonomy, if at all?
1: Mm. Well, I think we need to start with um, a conceptual breakdown um, of uh, autonomy. Um, and. A little bit like we do with governance, we break down autonomy uh, along four subcategories. We talk about institutional autonomy, functional autonomy, the personal autonomy, and the financial autonomy of central banks. And these are widely used concepts in the central banking community. Um, And when it comes to fintech, on the one hand, we believe that fintech will not really pose uh, fundamental issues for the institutional and personal autonomy of central banks. Um, however, however uh, if there are weaknesses in that regard in the central bank, fintech can exacerbate them. So I can give you an example. Imagine a central bank that has weak, uh, what we call incompatibility criteria and, and ethics rules. Uh, when those are weak, there is a high risk for uh, conflict of interest and thus personal uh, autonomy of senior central bank officials. Uh, what this really means is that the central bank leadership is uh, vulnerable to private sector capture. Now, if that would be the case generally with respect to the financial sector, obviously you also have a risk with regard to fintech firms, and that's something to take a look at. Um, there's also an issue, and maybe Arthur can speak to that a little bit later, uh, when, for example, governance would, governments would adopt a national fintech strategy, that assumes an important role of the central bank. And this can also pose challenges. Now, what I've said is very different for financial and functional autonomy- of central banks, where fintech can have uh, a very, very uh, high impact. So, let me give you two examples. Um, uh, Take first the issuance of uh, private digital forms of money. Uh, They could, uh, or those could crowd out banknotes. And by consequence, central banks could experience uh, a loss of monetary income in our jargon, and we call that seniorage. Um, And this may in turn hurt, well, first the profit and loss account, and then ultimately the equity, and and, and there's also the financial autonomy uh, of central banks. Basically, they can become undercapitalized uh, in their balance sheet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and another example would be, uh, imagine widely used uh, uh, private payment system that does not settle in central bank money. Um, Well, this could definitely impair the functional autonomy of the central bank in implementing its monetary policy, but also in pursuing its payment system soundness mandate. And obviously this would even be more the case if that system didn't settle or didn't use national currency. Um, So in in sum, yes there will be an impact the impact will not be enormous for institutional and personal autonomy but for functional and financial autonomy it could really be uh, huge
0: so following your argument then it's not really necessary for central banks to have what we would i guess deem full autonomy when it comes to fintech
1: not necessarily rachel Uh, that's right and you know this may come a little bit as a surprise to some of our listeners um but but You're absolutely right. And so let me explain that or try to explain that. So from a financial and personal autonomy perspective, it would be important that central banks enjoy the highest level of autonomy, including to deal with fintech. Um, But take, for example, functional autonomy. It's a little bit more more nuanced. Uh, And as a starting point, we should really bear in mind that central banks need not enjoy Uh, uniformly high levels of functional and also actually institutional autonomy for all their functions. Um, So take, for example, monetary policy. For monetary policy, you want to have absolutely the highest possible level of autonomy because we know that uh, the political institutions should not control the money supply. Of course. Right. But other functions can operate with with much lower levels. Uh, Take, for example, the fiscal agency function. uh, The central bank acts as fiscal agent for the government. Well, it will act as per direct instruction of the government, and there's nothing wrong with that. Same, for example, with exchange control frameworks, which are typically imposed by the government and then implemented by the central bank. And it's very interesting that this is exactly the same what happens with the currency issuance function. If you look at legal frameworks of many countries today, you can see that the Minister of Finance often uh, approves the issuance and the format of new banknotes. And that's understandable, understandable because there are political uh, aspects to it and just think about the images on a banknote Uh, and that's not something that compromises uh, monetary policy per se. And our point is that the same is likely to apply in respect to the issuance of CBDC. Uh, And in particular, we can really expect jurisdictions where the political level will play a role in certain um, design features of CBDC. Um, uh, Think, for example, this delicate question of of access by non-residents. I mean, this can be politically tricky. And, you know, it would be understandable that the politicians or the political institutions play a role in that regard. Um, And that is not inherently inappropriate as long as the central bank is and remains very autonomous in managing the overall uh, money supply.
0: No, that that makes a lot of sense. Arthur, did you have anything you wanted to add? Well,
2: on the different levels of autonomy, I think... uh, I will have a, um, a little bit more to add maybe in the last question uh, when discussing the, the complex relationship uh, between central bank and the government.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, of course.
2: That,
0: yeah, yeah. So obviously central banks and governments have long enjoyed, I guess, what they would deem a, a special relationship, one that should be built on respect and independence and, and an understanding that both both agencies are vital in maintaining financial stability. Um, Arthur, how do you, do you see this relationship evolving as, as fintech is more widely used by the central banking community?
2: Thanks, Rachel. Well, this question of the relationship between the central bank and the government is in fact a very tricky one uh, because it's both a complex one and an evolving one. That depends on the rules, the one that we're going to discuss, but also on the practice of the rules by both central bankers and the governments themselves. So Let me explain. Um, The relationship is first complex, uh, because indeed, uh, despite the independence that has been enacted for central banks, with a growing importance since the great inflation of the 1970s and 80s, central banks still have close relationship with their governments. And there is the fiscal agency function that Wouter just mentioned, but there's also one part of the mandate where central banks are in fact, asked to support the general economic policies of their governments. Um, And so you can see that that, um, central banks are asked to work closely with the governments, even though in in an autonomous fashion. However, the relationship is an evolving one, which is uh, the heart of your question, given amongst uh, others the challenges that innovative endeavors such as CBDCs uh, do pose uh, for the governance of central banks. For instance, uh, in fact, when countries do decide to embark on ambitious uh, technological, and in fact, uh, usually digitalization agenda, uh, overall, it's very rarely the case that it's the central bank that is at the very beginning of this uh, technological change. Uh, most of the time, it's in fact the government uh, that is sparking uh, this uh, revolution uh, for the central banks and for their countries. And as a result uh, of uh, the impetus that comes from the government, this can actually have a strong impact on central banks, especially if they embark on expensive and transformative uh, technological uh, adoption, including central bank digital currencies. And so you can see that uh, financial technology, therefore, has an impact on how uh, this relationship is evolving because uh, these uh, specific fintech agendas uh, can basically make central banks uh, adopt uh, very expensive uh, CBDC tools, for instance, that has an impact on, for instance, the financial autonomy of uh, the central banks. And therefore, you need a very uh, close relationship. Uh, between uh, a respectful relationship uh, between uh, your government and your central bank for um, this relationship- to continue to function uh, within the boundaries of the laws that were set in the past.
0: Uta, did you have anything to add to Arthur's point?
1: Um, Well, maybe a little one. So, So, indeed, what it really requires is is careful consideration of each other's roles and responsibilities, mm-hmm. and and a clear, I mean, ideally a clear delineation between monetary uh, and fiscal responsibilities, and and something that we have observed that is quite tricky is when central banks seek to play a role in financing. Uh, private sector fintech, uh, uh, let's say startups or activity, mm-hmm. A- and that can really be can be really tricky. So central banks should really be very careful in uh, acquiring, uh, for example, equity stakes in fintech firms that can create all kind of um, uh, conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. And, and governments have an alternative, uh, for example, development banks or national holding companies, or, or even. Subsidiaries of sovereign wealth funds could do that kind of stuff, no? Um, or also, if, if as part of that national strategy that Arthur described, central banks were uh, called upon to provide grants uh, to fintech firms, uh, that may also be delicate. You know, it's not it's not a given that central banks have a legal mandate to give grants to private sector firms. And so, so, central banks and and the government would really be well advised to delineate their respective roles and responsibilities um, you know as clearly as possible.
0: I wonder if, in the future, we're going to see some of these these roles shift slightly, because at the moment, I feel like some central banks are operating in a a gray area, which is not necessarily outside of their mandate, but it's just not in anyone's mandate. So they're sort of fulfilling that role, whether they should or not. So I think we're going to have to watch that space very carefully.
1: That's a great point, Rachel. Agreed.
0: Um, I wanted to thank you both uh, for coming along and speaking with me today. It's been a very insightful discussion and obviously our listeners can, can take a look at the, the paper and the article that we've written up as well um, for more information.
1: Absolutely, it was a pleasure um, to be here, Rachel, and people can also always reach out on our email addresses and we would be happy to engage. Thank you so much for the opportunity.
2: Thanks, Rachel, always a pleasure talking to you.